Welcome to Comadres y Comics. Comadres y Comics is a podcast hosted by three Latina women. We highlight the Latinx presence in the comic book industry as creators, characters, and fans. Join us as we talk chisme, comics, fandom, and beer. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Comadres y Comics. This is episode 196. We're your hosts, I'm Sarah. I'm Kristen. And I'm Jen. Hey girls, welcome back. Here we go again with another episode of Comadres y Comics. I think we're doing a really damn good job. We just attended the Latino Comics Expo 2023 at MOLA, the Museum of Latin American Art in Long Beach. What was your favorite part, Kristen? I really enjoyed all of the kids that came around and were so excited to see the comic books and all wanting to ask to buy a book. I was really excited to see all the kids coming by with books in their hands that they picked up from all the other booths in the expo. But I really think as usually is the case, my favorite part was moderating the Latina Power panel. I had all new panelists on the panel this year, which was really amazing. And I think we had a really awesome panel and the women were amazing and had a lot of great info and perspective to share. And I think that they, no, I don't know if anybody recorded. I think that EC Dukes's husband was recording it. Yes, I actually greatly enjoyed the Latina Power panel. We left our booth unattended because I had missed it the previous years because we, one of us would have to stay at the booth. But I'm just like, no, I really want to hear it because it's really powerful. I, I really like the passion of all the panelists. It's really just uplifting and inspiring. It's really, really amazing. My favorite part was seeing the cosplay of El Muerto, this oh, little kid. and yes. <laughs> And then Maxi's husband also cosplayed El Muerto so that was really cool especially oh, on the did? 25th anniversary where was I yeah well he was on the other side of the hall so probably but I saw pictures so I thought that was really oh, okay cool. well I did yeah. see the little kid so I thought that was amazing I know it always makes Javier super happy when he sees those cosplays and he has such an amazing loyal following he's been doing this like you said it's the 25th anniversary for so long and the this kid was what like about 11 12. Yes. So to see such a young, new fan, like a whole new generation of El Muerto fans. Absolutely. My other favorite part where, you know how people come up to our table and then we do the spiel with Comadres y Comics, we're mm -hmm. a podcast and blah, 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 blah. Well, this gentleman came by and he was like, I listen to you. you're my favorite podcast and he breaks out his phone and he shows us all the episodes he's listened to and the, how we're number one in his podcast list. Oh my that gosh. Just, I was like, oh, my God, you just made my day. No, no, you made my week. No, wait, wait, you made my year. Like, I really appreciate that. I wish I had written down his name, but I was just so jazzed about it. I was uh -huh. just really, oh, I mean, oh, I'm just, oh, I feel so blessed that at least we have one listener. <laughs> no, we us. have two. We also have Jen's cousin. <laughs> yes. Yep, yes, G, we do. Yes, G we do. listens. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That And also, you know what I like this year? It was more present than other years, I've noticed, that there was a lot of people from other medias that came and interviewed a lot of the creators, yes. including ourselves. I know you were interviewed. Mm -hmm. I know I was interviewed. And I saw Josh Trujillo was interviewed. 
Jay Gonzo was interviewed, and I believe also Caden Phoenix was also interviewed that I saw from a right. distance. Like yeah. A, but yeah, there was a lot of interviewing done. So I think there's a lot of, I guess, buzz about this convention. Yeah. And a lot of people are trying to get content about this convention out in their platform. So I thought that was amazing as well. I really like that you brought that up because it also really just highlights that the work that all of these creators are doing is relevant and that it matters for media outlets to uh, represent all marginalized communities to their listeners. I really, really was appreciative that I saw all of those interviews happening as well. Um, it made me really happy that this content, that uh, the creator's content is going to reach a larger audience. Absolutely agreed. And I can't wait to see their content. I told us to tag us on it. So we be sure to highlight it whenever it comes out. Ah, yes, absolutely. All right, guys, now it's time for Chisme de la Semana, and I have some Chisme today. So there's a, some buzz, some rumors about in the Internet that there's talks of Daphne King Fernandez to reprise her role as X-23 in the upcoming Deadpool 3 movie. Really? I mean, it's not confirmed, but we hear that there's talks and definitely the audience wants that to happen. A lot of people wanted her standalone film, but of course that didn't happen. And so now there's just, they're figuring out if that's going to be a thing and nobody knows at what kind of scope it's going to be. Nobody knows if it's going to be just a cameo or maybe like an, an actual character within the storyline, but we're here for it. I would love to see that. How old is she as an actress now? Do you know? Did it say? You know what? I should have looked. I just saw a picture and she looks like a young woman. So she looks like a young woman. I mean, I don't know how old she is exactly, but I mean, that would be super exciting to see. She did an awesome, amazing role. She had martial arts training. Before. Right. Before. Yeah. I remember they shared her kind of like informal what do you call it when you go screen. for a role? <laughs> yeah, it was like, screen, that, whatever it's called. <laughs> what is it when you audition? It was an informal audition, audition yes. where they showed her like literally doing martial arts in her living room. And I can see why she was like such a natural pick for that role. But I hadn't heard this. So it makes me kind of excited because I'm a big X-23 fan. But when you read the books, she is a young woman. She's probably in her like early 20s. Oh, well, she's 18 right now. I okay, that's what I was wondering. Yeah, because I would love to see something more along the lines of maybe a storyline that we've already seen in a comic. Like she has some title some title comics out where it's just her all new Wolverine is just her. And so I'd love to see something like that where she's not sh overshadowed by Logan. Right, right. Exactly. So hopefully fingers crossed, they come to an agreement and make that happen. I have another part of my cheese, and that is there. The crow, the remake is already in talks to be distributed here in the United States. And actually it went through on Wednesday, not sure which Wednesday, but they're saying that they were handling the finance, the deal 
for the domestic rights, which I don't know what that means, but I assume that has to do with actually releasing it here in the U.S. It's going to be a remake, so it's basically this kind of the same story from the James Obar comic book slash the 1990s Crow. The director is Rupert Sanders, who is the director that directed Snow White and the Huntsman and Ghost in the Shell. He's also the guy that have that affair with Kristen Stewart. <laughs> Just to let you know, also because this is cheese, my guys. Also, we know that Bill Sasgard is Eric Draven, and if you don't know who Bill Sasgard is, he is the clown in it, and he was just recently in the movie, one of the installments of John Wick. He was a villain. I loved him. That family is so talented. Like dad and all the brothers are actors. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. We know that FKA Twigs is gonna be. His love interest, I forgot her name, Shelly. Shelly is her name. And she's a singer, a dancer, and an actress. Her acting role I saw was in Honey Boy, which she was pretty good in. There were, have been complications before, as you know, with screenwriters and cast members. I mean, before they had th- talks about Bradley Cooper being Eric Draven and Jason Momoa at one point. So it's just been going through ups and downs. But basically, the filming has begun in July. So these are definitely the characters we're going to see in the movie, in the remake. And the filming is going to be, is actually being taken place in Prague and Munich. So that's probably why they don't have the domestic, they just got the domestic stuff hammered out just recently. So. I'm very excited about that. And and Lionsgate is releasing it. I'm a big fan of The Crow. I was really sad when Brandon Lee passed away during the filming out of that movie. So I'm very excited to see what they do with this. I know these actors are really good. So I just know that it's going to be really great. So, I mean, it's not going to overshadow the original for me. That's always in my heart. The soundtrack was outstanding. Was it? So, (laughs) oh my God, it's so good. Are you kidding me? Oh, you know what? There's some, I'm, I'm going to have to get that to you some way, somehow. I mean, I don't know if you have a CD player, but I have a soundtrack <laughs> on CD. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be released Lionsgate, and I think it's going to be released in 2024. So look for that. That's Proud of the Chisme. That has been our Chisme de la Semana. All right, guys, now it's time for On My Radar. Kristen, what is on your radar? So on my radar is a book that I loved and then I hated just as quickly that I read this week. <laughs> but and I'll tell you why. I was very excited when I saw that Werewolf by Night was getting a comic book. Werewolf by Night number one was released this week on September 13th. So depending on when you listen to this uh, podcast episode, it definitely probably will be within a week or so of this release but I am a really big Elsa Bloodstone fan and you never see Elsa Bloodstone in anything I just really love her attitude and just like she's just like a no nonsense take no prisoners like f monsters and she just has this beautiful long red hair and I was first introduced to her in Monsters Unleashed, which was the book about little kid Kaiju's power, I think it was inhuman. His power was that when he drew monsters, they would come to life. But 
of course, he didn't know that was happening. He just loved to draw monsters. And, you know, the story unfolds and goes from there. But I loved her in that book and really became a fan of hers. And whenever I've seen, I think she was in some books with Deadpool. It was just really a good character that I enjoyed. So when I saw her this last year already, gosh, it's already been a year that Werewolf by Night, that the MCU on Disney Plus streaming put out the special and in black and white the werewolf by night halloween special last year which was amazing right, i don't think right. we watched it until oh. like probably christmas <laughs> <laughs> may i mention gael garcia bernal was yes. in that i yes. love him love him yes so we watched it i loved it i don't know much about the character werewolf by night whose name escapes me i always can't remember what it is jack russell so when this book was solicited, I was like, oh, yes, and it's going to be close to Halloween. Can't wait. So I read it, and it was amazing. The writer is Derek Landy. The art is by Fran Galan, who is a Spanish creator. And it is Elsa together with Jack, the werewolf by night, basically chasing after this villain who is, of course, as villains do, want to have some demonic ritual to gain all the power and destroy the world. Nothing new there. But the thing that I was really entertained by is the way that the story was written. We read most of the story in inner dialogue in both Jack's mind and Elsa's mind. And they're both talking about their approach to chasing monsters, you know, hunting them down, finding them and killing them. And, you know, also their approach to life. Werewolf by Night does not believe that he deserves love. Elsa does not believe that she has time in her life for love. But ironically, they had a relationship, which I didn't know because I hadn't, and I don't even know if this is in comics. Like to honestly, is this canon? I don't know. I haven't read enough of these characters to know, but they had a thing. And we can read their inner dialogue of what they're thinking and what they think of each other in this book. And it is depicted so beautifully by the artist and the color choices that he makes is just great. And I mean, when the scenes are just werewolf by night, it's more like muted dark colors and then if Elsa is in the frame it's just like this beautiful red mane with the contrast of that dark just muted background I just don't know how to better explain it other than it's beautiful and you need to pick it up and the story is really good I really enjoyed it I learned a lot about both of those characters and then I turned to the last page and I hated it all at once because it literally just said in the last panel the end and I thought it was going to be an ongoing, it was just a one shot. <laughs> I was really disappointed, but I'm crossing my fingers that maybe this isn't just coming out because it's spooky season, but because Marvel is gearing up to maybe put one or both of these characters at the forefront of one of their books in the future. I haven't seen anything. I think there's a Crypt of Shadows book coming out, but it doesn't show 
either of them on the cover. So I'm hoping against hope that we do see more of Elsa for sure. But I loved this team up between her and Werewolf by Night. And <laughs> definitely check it out if you get a chance. And if you are at all a horror fan like I am or Elsa Bloodstone or Jack Russell fan. All right, guys, now it's time for La Hora de la Cervecita. Yay! Now, I'm excited, but I'm also saddened. <gasps> what happened? I'm saddened because Jen, fortunately, cannot join us in tasting this wonderful yeah. beer yeah. segment. And I'm so sorry, Jen. Um, it'll be there for me once I'm better. <laughs> Jen absolutely does not want to mix alcohol with any of the medications she's taking right now, which we wholeheartedly agree and support. And if we were actually in the same room, we would support her by drinking her beer too. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. So, so what you know what's interesting today? is that I just realized looking at the can, we have not had an IPA in a really long time. Yes, also, I've been trying out. to mix it up a little bit, but today I just, I've had a long week. And so I thought, you know what? An IPA sounds right about, <laughs> right about to hit the spot. So this is a beautiful can. This can is, has an art of a sun underneath a crown and it's called Inglewood Sun. It's a West Coast IPA and it's brewed by Crowns and Hops Brewing Company. And that is a little bit local to us here in LA County in Inglewood. It's not very far from either Sarah or I. And it gives a little bit of information on the can telling us that the West Coast IPA should taste like the California Sunshine Feels, a signature profile that California beer lovers take much pride in. Bright, clean, and dank. The one thing Jen just loves about IPA, the dankness, with nothing compromising the character of what we know as the West Coast style Indian Pale Ale. This beer is brewed in honor of the people of Inglewood, California, a community rich in culture and tradition. Crowns and Hops is grateful to be a part of the renaissance occurring in our city. Cheers to the West Coast, and they have a hashtag here, own your crown. So, Sarah, I know you've been to Crown and Hops a little bit more. Can you tell us a little bit, actually, about what the significance of Crowns and Hops is? Well, this is a brewery that is, oh, it's Black-owned and women-owned. It's a couple... I think they met online. I remember saying that before. I don't think they've opened their facility yet in Inglewood. They're working on it, but they participate all over the world. They've been in collaborations. They've been to Ireland to brew some collabs. They've been all over the East Coast. They're all over festivals and they're just putting their brand out. It's the crown means kind of like own your crown, like be royal, you are royalty, mm -hmm. kind of like. It's like a statement to the black community and to women out there. I'm so proud of them. And my brother has met Tio. They often meet, find each other at Monkish, but they're just really amazing. And they're doing amazing things. And they're contributing to the community of Inglewood and communities all over the world. They have festivals like in Georgia and Pennsylvania. They're, they do collabs all over the place. They're just like really about the community. So, and they have a really great palette for beer. I mean, I don't think I've had one that I don't like. Nope. I'm sorry. I will say it. They're sour. 
you know how I feel about sours. <laughs> that hit me too hard. Yeah. I was like, my stomach hurts. But other than that, their case is amazing. So have you opened yours, Kristen? No, actually, I haven't. Let me open it. Okay. So they're very community-based about the people, for the people. Real royalty is what I'm saying. It smells very fruity, very citrusy. I smell some pineapple. I smell some orange. And usually the smell of the IPA will start getting my mouth watering. And that's exactly what's happening <laughs> right now. But it doesn't, even though they use the term dank on the can, it doesn't smell overly hoppy. But let me be the judge of that with taste. <laughs> Ooh, Jen would not like it. <laughs> but the interesting thing about this, and it's been so long since we had an IPA, is that the hoppiness is at the forefront for me. It's at the beginning of the drink, and there is really not a lot of aftertaste. It's very right. flavorful and hoppy at the front, but that horrible, just like, bitter, hoppy taste that stays on the tongue afterwards is not there, which is actually really nice. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate the, you get the taste of a good IPA without, you get the taste without the pain, <laughs> which I mean, I know people that love that's the signature of an IPA, but I've always maintained that shouldn't be the whole entire character of an IPA. Like it, there should be multi- faceted levels of flavor and taste in the beer and people shouldn't just be like oh this beer is amazing because it has a bad aftertaste like that's not a good ipa that is i think <laughs> that's lazy brewing to be honest so i'm actually really enjoying it yeah i'm so glad you talked about the hops they use simcoe strata and cascade hops and it's kind of like the aromas are more driven through the floral, hop, aroma, citrus, and a bit of a mild pine. So you were right on that. And it's an ABB of 6.8. So it's not even high up, like mm -hmm. as far as a lot of these IPAs, but I think it's perfect. I think it really is just kind of a, I think this could become one of their signature brews, definitely. I think it could become one of the all-time favorites of their brewery. So I hope they keep this on tap whenever they decide to open up their tap room. So I'm very excited for this. So what is our rating scale, Kristen? So we have a five-point rating scale with one being very unsatisfied, two unsatisfied, three right in the middle is just a neutral, four out of five is satisfied, and a five out of five is very satisfied. Of course, if we are off the charts, either way, we have a zero out of five, which is flaccid, and a six out of five, which is Super Saiyan. So I'll go ahead and get started, and I'm going to give it a satisfied. Like I said, I haven't had an IPA in a very long time. At the beginning of summer, I stopped drinking IPAs because of just how freaking hot it was this season. Oh, yes. And IPAs not only give me a heavy tummy feel, but they also make me sweat profusely <laughs> because of the high ABV. Oh. And so 100%. I stopped drinking them and all of my Latino brothers and sisters will be happy to know that I took up drinking Modelo's <laughs> in the summer. <laughs> 
for shame. And I love them. I appreciate it. Me, a good Modelo these days. So drinking this IPA ever after such a hiatus, such a long hiatus, is actually a treat. And I'm enjoying it. And so I'm giving it a four out of five. This is Sarah, and I am a fan of IPAs. So I'm, you know my rating is going to be a little bit higher, which is a super Saiyan, actually. I oh, really love it. No. The can art is yes. outstanding. It is. It looks like a little bit art deco mm-hmm. kind yep. of art, yep. which I love, first of all. Second of all, I love IPAs. Third of all, I love the freshness and all those flavors that are bursting in my mouth. And like you said, your tongue is not held hostage to that bitterness at the end. I think they did an excellent job. Like I said, they should really make this one of the flagship beers that they have brewed year round. I think it's amazing. And I think, man, I know I like most of them, but this one really is hitting it out of the ballpark for me. So for me, it's a super Saiyan. And that has been our beer review. All right, guys, now it's time for our book review. What are we reviewing today, girls? Today, we're reviewing a little zine comic that you brought back from Latino Comics Art Festival this last year. And it's called Los Punkers. It is a little one-shot comic book by Jaime Crespo. And it is interesting one of the things i found very interesting is a comic that he drew within the annual 24-hour comic event that happens in the industry every year it's usually i think a similar date where it happens but i've seen local comic shops sponsor this event over the years where basically creators come and get together and utilize this space and time to create a comic within 24 hours so there's like an outline of like what you need to get done by every certain hour and by the end of the 24 hour period you should have an entire comic completed and drawn and so that is what we have here in our hands and if you might recognize Jaime's name it's because he is the founder and owner of Corn Tortilla Press which I think is like such a unique and fun name (laughs) yes the Corn Tortilla Press and it's a very simple logo that he has it's just a corn tortilla but it's just I think it's so unique and creative. And inside the book, it has a little description kind of about how this 24-hour comic day comic came to be. It was back in the day when he was living in San Francisco. And he was basically here at, not here, there, at the Comics Experience Outpost, which I'm assuming is a comic book shop that was up in San Francisco. And he was there for 24 hours hours and the end result was this book and it says here that it was well I don't know actually it actually say when it was made the copyright was 2017 so I'm guessing that that's the year that it was written but I don't actually see a, a year I think it's in the first flap of the comic does it say I think well he said oh in the intro that in the first flap like when you open it up it said that he drew this comic book in 24 hours 
hours, but he kind of put it away. He had the pages and stuff, and then he moved and he found them. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I'm just going to release it. What the hell? So we don't know exactly. Well, honestly, I don't know what year he actually made it. Right. But he found the pages and then released them. And we don't know what year that happened either. (laughs) (laughs) But the storyline follows the title, Los Bunkers, and it's basically Jaime's story of how he and his best friend Arturo Arturo got together and uh, created a punk rock band. And as it was back in the day, I think it talks about how they both were Latinos living in a black neighborhood. So punk rock was not the norm in either of those communities back in the 70s. So this was in the winter of 77, 78. And they kind of were just like part of like a movement where they just wanted to be different. And they loved the music. And in fact, while I was reading this, every time they talked about a band or a song that I wasn't familiar with, I went and I looked it up and I listened to it. So it was actually... Oh my God, me too. It was actually a really fun way to experience this book and it kind of like put me in the mindset of what I'm guessing they must have been in when they were writing when they were because a lot of them were covers I think they said maybe there was some originals no I think there were covers okay so I just thought that was fun and there I think Jaime if you're listening one of the things you should do if you reprint any of these is on the back flap Create a playlist. Create a playlist of the songs that you used to play on your playlist when your band played. I think that'd be amazing. And I would read this book and listen to those songs all over again. So um, I also, when I was in high school, listened to punk music and listened to a lot of the same bands that Jaime actually referenced here in this book. So it was really cool. He is older than me, but I felt like it could have been actually wish it was me. I'm like, I wish I would have started a punk rock group when I was in high school. Like, yeah. You don't have to know how to sing to be punk rock. Freaking look at Sid Vicious. Exactly. He was horrible. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm so, you know, it's so crazy because we review books that have like 200 pages, 300 pages. And this one was a small, like 24 hour comic book production. But as soon as I read the first two pages, I got super freaking excited. It just took me back. I mean, I'm obviously not in the same age bracket, like as far as like the 1977 to 1978 punk rock era. I was touched by it a little bit. But I was more like into like maybe the 2000s kind of gothic thing. But I feel that it was kind of like the same feeling where Mm -hmm. there's not many like Mexicans or people of color like doing this kind or being in this kind of like scene is what I'm going to call it. But, you know, like I do know a lot of people that were like in the industrial skater scene that were about the dog town and the Z boys. And to know now, I mean, I know I saw the movie, but to like know now that it inspired other people like Jaime to be like all in the, to the skating and stuff like that. Like, it's kind of awesome. I got really excited. Like I felt like part of me was in this comic book, even though it took place years before me, like they were like pioneers in this, you know, it was so cool. Cause they were like, 
Yeah, well, kind of a cholo, kind of comics, kind of skating, kind of punk rock. Like, I love that mixture that you don't have to, like, pigeonhole yourself. I really felt that was really awesome about it. When I was growing up in high school, like, the big thing was, like, a lot of the cholos were, like, when they were, like, dying out of their cholo phase, they went into, like, the rebels stage where they were wearing white T-shirts, baggy Dickies pants, and they were wearing their pompadour. Their, uh, yes! <laughs> <laughs> I know it seems ridiculous now, but it was all so hot back then. <laughs> totally hot. And, you know, and the character development in this comic book, I mean, I know we met Jaime, but I mean, we don't know what he was like when he was a teenager. So reading this book, I felt like even though it was a, a small, like 24 hour comic book, and I keep saying that because he put so much content in this yeah, 24 hour he did. comic. Yes. Yeah, he let us know that Arturo was a kind of a rocker guy, and we got that sense. And then we have Jaime, who was more of a blues R&B kind of thing, and then how they kind of like both liked the Rolling Stones. And I like how he mentions that because the Rolling Stones were inspired by R&B blues singers like Muddy Waters and stuff like that. So like there was a connection there that I kind of was like, man, I mean, it kind of dove deep for me. I don't know. What did you think, Jen? I really enjoyed it. I mean, it's funny to me because, I mean, I feel like emos, goths, punks, and like everybody on the L team is very like, we're all different, but we're still all because we're other. I think we have a like a very close link, even though sometimes it can be a little antagonistic. So just reading it, I was just, I like punk, but I wouldn't consider myself a punk. So I really like reading like other people's experiences and stuff like that. And this was like a lot of fun too because the whole like doing something different and then other people not liking it I'm like yeah no I remember that even like with my own like growing up emo and stuff like that it's never a phase it's a lifestyle (laughs) (laughs) I love that their band name was Los Pendejos (laughs) Yeah. Oh my god. That was, that was great, one yeah. of my favorite parts. That was so cool. I was like, I wish I was Las Pendejas. Why didn't we choose that for a podcast? Oh my god. <laughs> Excuse me. And I just, I, I the just we really are put into the story when they talk about how their gigs were for opening for like older new wave bands and mm-hmm. that sometimes they went to living rooms. I, I remember Eddie and I going to a concert that happened in someone's living room. It was like the best thing. It was so we were sitting on the couch and they were playing in the corner and it was so fun. And actually it was a Latino band. I can't remember what they're called now. I have their CD somewhere, but it was just like, that kind of took me back. And I can just like try to envision and imagine what that was for some teenage boys. Cause he was still in high school. Jaime was in high school, yes. even though Arturo was a little yes. bit older. He was 19. Yeah. Uh, and I just thought that that was like, it's such a great life experience. Like, so Absolutely. cool. And just how the way he described, like, the white boy who was just, like, not wanting, like, telling heckling him. Yeah, heckling him and then getting upset because his girlfriend didn't want to leave. And <laughs> the best part of this book, the best visual that I got was he talks about how he'll never forget the looks on people's faces, the, <laughs> the beret-wearing older artsy types 
and how they all took about three steps back when they hit the first few chords. And the picture that is accompanying in that, what do you call it? In that panel, the panel. is literally mm-hmm. just a fist coming from the left-hand side of the panel <laughs> and just going to like hit them in the face. And it's yeah. just like a whoosh of wind and their hair is flying behind them and their berets are flying off. And that was so amazing. And that was one of the songs that I went to go listen to while I was staring at that panel. And it just elevated the comic and that particular panel and part of the story so much for me. I really, really enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's down on the street by the Stooges. Mm -hmm. And I also did the same thing. I put it on and Mm -hmm. then I was reading it and I was just like blown away. I was just like, you know what? This is it. This is the shit. And I'm glad that you mentioned the art because again, 24 hours and he really had some amazing art just he has such a firm grasp on kind of an emotional story guiding artwork during through this comic I mean and now I want to read everything he does because it just seems so amazing there was one part and it's so small but it was so significant to me where they're laying on the grass and all you see in the panel is their shoes their, shoes. their sneakers yes, I thought that was and awesome <laughs> yes and it's it was just like man you know what he accomplished so much in his drawing style. And like I said before, I am in awe for artists who write and draw their comics because it just takes so much effort, so much work, so much passion. And he clearly blew it out of the park. The artwork is outstanding. Like you said, the fist in the crowd when they first did the, the first song, the cover song, where they just kind of blew the audience away. That was really amazing. Like their little berets were like floating in the wind. It was just so freaking cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty freaking amazing. And I saw myself in that part as well, because during like my like early 20s, I went to these art slash quote unquote art parties where it was like we're drinking wine and it's like a lot of artists in a loft in downtown LA and they had like these bands play or whatever like a guitarist or whatever in the corner and it was just really amazing time just really just beautiful and yes I was like one of the very few brown people at these parties when I was at the parties, it was just not as weird as it was probably back then in the 70s, like the late 70s, because it was like in the 90s. But you definitely feel that, you know, you feel that like, okay, these are kind of your people because you guys are different, but they're kind of not because you're still like brown, you know, <laughs> like, but I find funny. I mean, especially when we talk about like punk history, I mean, like punk history was started by black people in in london in um, uh, in the uk like that is the origins of the the punk scene and it's kind of funny how they've kind of been pushed aside and kind of forgotten because when people think punk they think bald-headed white boys sorry yep. eddie oh absolutely <laughs> <laughs> well eddie isn't bald-headed so at right, least he's yeah. got that going for him yeah uh- <laughs> But uh, yes, the white man came and took that too. Yep. I said, wow, this sounds cool. 
<laughs> if you want to get more information about Jaime and the other comics that he has created, you can go to corntortillapress.com. And there's a little about there on the website. And it tells us that Jaime is a native Californian who's been a published cartoonist in the neighborhood of about 40 years and has had his comics wow. in several anthologies over time. And he's had his comic strip Slice of Life in weekly papers around the U.S., Upon downsizing, and in most cases, the collapse of some weekly papers is when he returned to self-publishing and an ongoing comic book title, which is Tortilla. And in that story, he tells longer stories outside of the four-panel comic strip format. Currently, he is in the midst of his first graphic novel, Sinners and Saints, which focuses on his time spent as a janitor maintenance man in San Francisco Tenderloin District during the 1980s at the beginning of the crack epidemic. He also Whoa. has a mini graphic novel called Funniest Guy in the Room about his experience growing up in an abusive home and dealing with being a person of color in California well before social awareness of such things came about. You know, and that just goes to show you that one person can go through a myriad of life experiences in one lifetime and he's still alive and living and it's like he's already experienced so much and so much like stuff it's like us reminiscing about like our like living room punk rock days you know or <laughs> our like gothic uh, our industrial in the mirror and using slathering yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on as much dark makeup as possible <laughs> exactly like when nobody carried black lipstick until it was halloween yep. and then you stocked up oh, yeah. because nobody else sold black lipstick oh i, I love mean terrorizing we have our my stories when i would go <laughs> <laughs> i would sneak my black lipstick in <laughs> i used to buy the wet and wild because wet and wild was always good yes. for black lipstick and mm, 99 yes. cents what a deal but I would use that one lipstick for everything. I'd put it on lipstick yes. and I'd put it on my fingers and smudge it to my eyes and my rouge. Nice. <laughs> oh nice. I mean, what wonderful amazingness when I was able to afford to go to retail slut on Melrose and buy the white foundation because I thought that you have to be like completely white in order to like be goth. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, uh, it, the fucking foundation costs Latinos like $30. The poor Latinos having to actually buy the foundation because we're brown. <laughs> I've, I've actually never worn the foundation simply because I always thought that I would look like a clown. But now uh -huh. I've seen like, I've there's some influencers I follow who wear like the white makeup and they're like Latinas and brown skin and it doesn't look like how it doesn't look bad at all. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, yeah it was just a, like, no, it wasn't cakey. I mean, it was water based, mm -hmm. so like you kind of blended it with the CoverGirl Compact, the lightest one, so it matted it out. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I'll show you pictures. Giving away <laughs> I mean, her beauty secrets. Yeah, <laughs> you gotta tell me because I mean, one of these days I'm gonna like do the full like white face makeup because I want to. Yes, yes, definitely. But I mean, I think this story transcends 
and it kind of hits us all in a way that we can relate to it. Mm -hmm. The art is amazing. The humor is awesome. The expression on all the characters is super cool. Like, I mean, he definitely has his own style of art, which I totally enjoyed. Mm -hmm. It was just great. And I also enjoyed, and you guys know that I really love a comic that gives you a history and teaches you something. Yeah. It definitely taught me that they predated like the suicidal tendencies which mm-hmm. became like really popular punk band that was like latinos as well so the plugs stuff like that like you get that history lesson as well so i just feel like this is really awesome this awesome comic book i really freaking enjoyed it i mean now i want to read everything because and i feel like we should be freaking grabbing, you know, like rattling the cages and say, we want more. We want more because this was just really great. <laughs> I really absolutely enjoyed it. I love that it shows that Latinos were taking part in these movements. Like it's yeah, not oh, depicted yeah. in the visual history or documentaries or anything. And Eddie always is sharing with me. He's a big document documentary guy and he'll turn on a documentary when he's writing or drawing and he, he really he also was a big punk listener back in the day and punker. in fact shared with me that there's a big history of punk music here in the south bay and so he said he used to sneak into concerts all the time here happening in torrance and pedro and stuff like that so I think that's really interesting and cool. And to just see actual depiction of Latinos participating in this punk movement, I really appreciated and enjoyed. And so I'm ready to rate it if you guys are, because we can stand, we can sit here and just gush about it all night long, but we have more content. (laughs) (laughs) Just one quick thing. I know that he expressed how excited he was and how like it was like even in his drawings, like how his eyes were wide open when they heard Voidoids for the first time and they were like, oh, my God, what is this? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, my God, this is amazing. I had that very same moment at a yard sale. I was at a yard sale in Gardena where I purchased my vanity, which is like a it's a mirror with, you know, it was like from the 19, from the 1800s. Anyway, so we stopped because of the vanity and I'm looking at the, in the yard sale of other stuff. And they had this, I forgot what the radio station was, but at that moment when I was standing there at the radio station, they played Break On Through by the Doors and my life changed. Like I instantly knew this was the band of my life. And <laughs> That's my favorite band of all time, The Doors. Like, it just, like, really? something inside yeah, me, something that. inside me just, oh, my God, something clicked. And I don't know, it feels like it was, like, past life experience or something. It's that deep. Wow. Anyway, I, I just wanted that. to say that because when I saw that panel and I read it, I was like, dude, that's exactly how I felt with The Doors. So yeah, when I was in high school, speaking of The Doors, I bought a Morrison poetry book. And really? It's prayer? so was it American prayer? I don't remember. Oh. I don't even have it anymore, but I would have to look at the cover to see what it was. But as a gothic, dramatic, over the top teenage girl, those poems spoke way more to me than his music did. 
to begin. But then once I read the poems and I read, you know, more about his life and all that stuff, his music struck differently with me because I, right. I, I kind of felt like I had an insight and was able to like more connect to him in that way. And then that helped because if that was an era. I wasn't even alive when most of that stuff came out. I was introduced to him because I was listening to my mom's LPs on her big stereo with the stereo that's the size of like a bench and there's a record player <laughs> inside. That's how big it had to be to <laughs> play the music. That's how I was introduced. So it's funny that you're saying that because honestly, after reading the poems and then having a new different appreciation for the music, I totally see that for you. Like a hundred percent. I can see that. What was your band that was like that, Kristen? I don't know that I, I'm trying to think like a visceral like reaction. I don't know. I have to really think about it. One day I'm going to be driving in here. So I'm like, oh, this is it. I don't know. <laughs> I think for what me, about you, Jen? For me, the ones that I can remember like distinctly is Helena by My Chemical Romance and mm-hmm. Call Me When You're Sober by Evanescence. So that's when I had the like, oh, like this is it. Like this is woo. And it's funny because the Call Me When You're Sober one, I distinctly remember watching it on MTV. Oh wow. Like yeah, on MTV back when they still like played and even then like they would have like one channel dedicated to like just music videos and that was on the like on the rock mm-hmm. channel and I just remember I don't know I think I was cleaning or something like as a kid and then it came on and I just stopped and watched it and I was just all like I'm having a moment like I'm gonna <laughs> this is what I'm going to base my personality on for the next for the rest of my life you know <laughs> you know I will have to now after you're talking about that What comes to mind, even though I say The Cure is my favorite band ever, I have to say that Depeche Mode's Black Celebration was one song that hit me like that. Because, like, I wouldn't say, like, I like Evanescence, but it's not my favorite. My favorite band, for sure, is My Chemical Romance. Like, Mm -hmm. that's it. They're, like, them and Fall Out Boy are, like, my favorite ones. But, like, song-wise, oh, Call Me When You're Sober is going to have my heart always. Like, I think that was the definitive moment for me. We might have to start having playlists for our podcast <laughs> episode. Yes, <laughs> definitely. I agree. I agree. Actually, fun story. Uh, my very first CD, my very first CD was a Doors CD. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, and then my first tape, I think my first like actual real tape, not a, a bootleg, mm-hmm. was Def Leppard. Oh, that's funny. My first tape, I don't know. See, I worked for a music store when I was in high school. So I had a whole bunch. And I remember distinctly when we started switching over to CDs and it was such a big deal and they were so freaking expensive and people like, oh (laughs) my God, like back then $25 for a CD, like that was a big deal. Like, yeah. that's a lot of money, $25. Like, you know, I was getting paid four twenty-five an hour. You know how many hours I had to work? <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness well, I was getting a discount. And it's um, so funny because it's like records are back in again. They're cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I but know. I'm trying to collect mine. Yeah. Hysteria <laughs> was one of my first back because I liked all kinds of music, even though I dressed goth and everything. I liked all kinds of music. And Hysteria was a big deal to me back then. 
Yeah, I got that on my 13th birthday. It was like an actual real, like not bootleg tape. So I was like <laughs> super excited about it. But my first Doors album was Waiting for the Sun. And that's because it was on sale. Because like you said, $25 is a lot of money. Yep. So it was like on sale for like 15 bucks. And I think that's why my parents bought it for me. But yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to collect them on albums now, like records. I got a record player, so I'm excited about that. Cool. I'd love <laughs> but, to have one, anyway, but I, don't have anywhere to put it. We have such a small place. No, I mean, they come in this suitcase-looking little yeah. thing now. Yeah, that you mine can is currently No, I know. I'm just saying I don't have anywhere to set it up. Literally, I'm thinking <laughs> there's no empty surface anywhere in this house. <laughs> I just pulled out the cutting board in the kitchen, which is literally... <laughs> The only space we have, and Eddie and I fight over it all the time. <laughs> so are we ready to rate Yeah, the we got distracted. Weren't we already reading it? <laughs> I know. I'm so sorry. I distracted you with my doors history. Mm-hmm. With the history with the doors. Okay. But where were we? Who is next? <laughs> well, I don't even think yeah, you started. You... Oh, no, okay. we didn't even start. I sidetracked the whole conversation. Okay. <laughs> Jen, you start. Okay, go ahead. Well, considering that we're still talking about it, I'm going to give it the entire panaderia because this was, I know in like the front matter, it said like he gave up like, you can tell when he gave up halfway. I couldn't tell. So Mm -hmm. it's all, I like, it's hard to believe that this was done in 24 hours because it's so good. And so despite as an artist, he might see the mistakes, but I don't see him. I think it's an amazing little booklet. I think it definitely inspires conversations through the entire panaderia. What about you, Kristen? So this is Kristen, and I am also giving it the whole panaderia. And I don't know, what's a punk drink? I have to ask Eddie. Uh, (laughs) You know, back in the day, too, it was punk to be straight edge. So maybe there's no drinks at all. (laughs) But the whole panaderia, I loved it so much. It took me back to my own teenage years and made me regret that I never started a punk band. And so I'm living (laughs) vicariously through Jaime. I would love, like I said, I would love to see this expanded and a playlist added. I think that's amazing. And I think that he would find a whole new audience. 100%. I mean, I told you that this comic teaches you a little bit about punk history, especially with people of color. So I think that a playlist would be amazing. It would expand like the whole thing, even if you have a QR code that you can scan while you read the comic. I think that would be amazing. But I'm going to give it like the whole panaderia. And because I saw the movie The Doors by what's his name? Stone, whatever his name. And they... Oliver Stone, and I think what they did was they put, like, blood on cocaine. I'm going to go with that. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I remember. One of the scenes I remember in the movie, whatever. But, I mean, it's hardcore is what I'm trying to say. Like, the whole panaderia and blood on cocaine. It's so damn hardcore. I love it. Oh, my God. Okay, just as a side note, going off that uh, tangent again, the book that I read when I was a teenager that got me kind of more in touch with Jim Morrison was the lost writings of Jim Morrison. And it's called wilderness and it's volume one. Oh, nice. nice. So now you guys know, definitely. And that has been our book review. All right, guys, now it's time for in la libreria. What do you have for us today, Jen? Well, today I don't have like a book or a bookstore. I have a video game. It is called Runa and the Chaikuru Legacy. 
Luna and the Chaguru Legacy is a unique single 3D platformer adventure set in a fantasy world inspired by South American culture. So it is being done by Fanny Pack Studios, and this is one of their like first projects. They are indie game developers from Argentina, and they create games with their own identity for the world. And they're based in Buenos Aires, Argentina. So the story that they have is a fantasy world like no other. Runa and Chaikuru's legacy invites you to uncover the mysteries buried deep in the ruins of the ancient Chaikuru civilization in a classic and epic 3D platform adventure. Join Runa, a curious and courageous adventurer, and explore the beautiful landscapes composed of ruins, jungles, rivers, waterfalls, caves, and much more. And then they have links to their Twitter, their Instagram, their Discord. They actually have some gameplay available to see as well. So the digital game will be available for Steam and the Epic Store. And you can add it to the wish list. But the story for the game is the company sends Runa to explore the Redlands, a vast tropical area to gather information about the mysterious Chaikuru civilization and unravel all its ancient secrets. Unbeknownst to her, the company has other intentions. Along her journey, she will encounter various enemies and bosses that will seek to complicate her mission. But don't you worry, she will also find new friends and items that will help her defeat those enemies and make her expedition easier. This classic 3D adventure platformer game allows you to explore the Redlands at your own pace while challenging you to different obstacles and puzzles and surprising you with unexpected battles. You can gather amethysts and exchange them for items, use your below. Boleadoras as a weapon, drink mate to heal, and most importantly, pet a capybara. <laughs> so, I love mate. Yeah. <laughs> so they have like the features. You can uncover the mysteries of the ancient Chaikuru civilization, level up your abilities, you fight against varied and fantastic enemies all based on South American, I'm guessing probably Argentina, maybe Incan, or it could be an amalgamation of many indigenous groups. Overcome 3D platform obstacles and solve puzzles, unlock mystical skills, and reach new scenarios. Collect ancient and wacky artifacts and refill your mate and heal. So they have pictures of like the items and how they look. And let's see, they have the references. Okay, so if you like Crash Bandicoot, The Zelda Saga, Brave Fencer Musashi, Jack and Dexter, Horizon Zero Dawn, you're going to like this game because that's those were the main influences for creating Runa and the Chaikuru Legacy. Most of the games were essential to build the gameplay and aesthetic, and you will find Easter eggs featured for those games oh, in cool. here as well. Yeah. And so they give a bit more. They give like the characters you're gonna meet, which is Runa, Cappy, who is a capybara, Darninas, Tlico, who's a Quati, and Amaconda, <laughs> who's an anaconda. <laughs> And so definitely check it out. They have a pretty ambitious goal. They have a goal of $25,000. They currently are at 1260 with 31 backers and 44 days to go. And there is gameplay visible. So this game, I think, is like it's mostly about like meeting launch. And I think no matter what, I think they are going to release it. But this is just kind of a way to like promote it. But... You can always support without expecting a reward. You just want to back it up. But the base pledge starts at a dollar, which is just kind of like we support you. And they call it a warm feeling. Then the next one is $5. 
And with this, you get an exclusive space in their Discord community. So you get like the invite to the Discord and like a special role. And then right now they have the Early Bird Digital Edition, which starts at $10. So you get the, the digital version of the game and as well as digital wallpapers. And this, like once these are gone, they're like gone. Then there is the Digital Deluxe Edition, which is at $25. You get the game, the art book, as well as the original soundtrack. And then wow. at $100, you get the Digital Deluxe Edition, which is your name in the credits. Yeah, so like when you finish the game and it like does the, like, the end credits, your mm-hmm. name is going to be featured on there as a backer. Yeah, and then it keeps uh, going up from there. But you can get the game right now for as little as 10 bucks, And I've paid more money for dumber games. Uh, wow. <laughs> so I think it's interesting. I think it's fascinating. It looks like it's giving me very strong, like kind of like a rogue dungeon, a little bit like Hades. And it is an actual small indie gaming studio. So it's got that kind of like vibe as well. So, But it looks to be like really pretty well done. And so... 100% recommend it. it, and I'm probably going to end up backing it as well. It is Runa and the Chaikuru Legacy. R-U-N-A, the little at symbol. And then the Chaikuru, which is C-H-A-I-K-U-R-U Legacy on Kickstarter. Wow. The last video game I was excited for release was Dream Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> thought we could do with something a little different this time around. Yes. Nice. All right, guys, now it's time for Juntos y Fuertes. Kristen, what do you have for us today? Well, today I want to talk to you about an actual national event that is happening between October 1st and 7th. It happens every year, and I'm putting it out to you with enough warning so that you can find your local library or bookstore and participate. So the American Library Association announced that their theme for Banned Book Week this year is Let Freedom Read. And back, like I said, Banned Book Week is going to take place October 1st through 7th. And most libraries usually participate. So Oh no, this last name, Lozada, Paleo Lozada says that as we've seen throughout National Library Week, as long as there are libraries, Americans' right to read will not be overcome by censorship. So the 2023 Banned Book Week theme, Let Freedom Ring, captures what's at stake for our democracy, that the safety of our right to speak and think freely is directly in proportion to our right to read. The American Library Association encourages libraries in every context to mark Banned Book Week by inviting other groups within their communities to celebrate and take action to protect our freedom to read all year long. So what's cool is that the American Library Association offers a variety of Let Freedom Read downloads and materials, including posters, bookmarks, stickers, and buttons, as well as print-on-demand items such as apparel and drinkware. 
Evergreen assets without banned book week dates and branding are available to encourage use and community engagement throughout the year. And Heidi Ho definitely is planning on having a banned book week display and going to include some comics that have been challenged and in some cases actually banned. And although we have already passed the deadline this year, I wanted to put this out there for future years that grants are available for live libraries, schools, and nonprofits who are planning banned book week events in their own communities. There is something called the Judith F. Krug Memorial Fund a programming grant from the Freedom to Read Foundation, and it awards $1,000 to support banned book week programs. So like I said, the deadline has already passed this year. The deadline to apply for the grants this year was back in May, but you can find information about a applying for future year's grants at the American Library Association website, which is just simply ALA.org. Band Book Week is an annual event celebrating the freedom to read and was actually started in 1982 in response to a sudden surge in the number of challenges to books in schools, bookstores, and libraries. So Band Book Week's coming, maybe find a banned book and read it with your family, read it with your children, actually have a book club. In fact, that's an idea for October. We should pick a book that was challenged and banned for our weekly, not weekly, our monthly book club that Heidi Ho us just, I guess we just hosted. <laughs> so maybe we can share what that book's going to be and maybe some listeners can also participate. So that is what I have, ALA.org. And I believe you can also go to Band Book, Band Books, that's plural, bandbooksweek.org. Well, that sounds really amazing. I'm always surprised that people go so hard on banning books. Mm -hmm. Like, seriously. Where were they when I I was reading Stephen King in fifth grade? (laughs) Right. Oh my God. No. Where were they? I was reading like V.C. Andrews, Flowers in the Attic. Oh yeah. I was reading Flowers in the Attic in third and fourth grade. I didn't get it. Like I heard whispers and I was reading and I'm like, when are we going to get to the good stuff? What was everybody freaking talking about? And Mm, I think it kind of just went over my head and not until I was much older that I was like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. But this sounds like an amazing cause. You know what? I would really love to maybe even read a band book on our podcast as a review. That would be awesome. Yeah, for sure. All right, guys. Now it's time for saludos. And today, estamos saludando a... Michael Vasquez. (laughs) He is a graphic designer and digital illustrator based in Fresno, California. He graduated from California State University of Fresno in 2017 with a BFA in graphic design and illustration. He makes illustrations inspired by culture and history, more specifically culture of Native American and Mexican descent. He talks about exploration of educating himself on the culture and expanding his education by exposing it to others and exposing the culture to others with his artwork. And he has such an amazing, he has stickers, vinyl stickers, enamel pins, patches, prints, sweatshirts, beanies, t-shirts. He has so much content, including earrings, 
things. I mean, dude, Ooh. he cornered the market on that. He actually also like if you follow him, you can also find out when he launches Kickstarters. One of his Kickstarters included like Mesoamerican earrings, which were amazing. They have the Olmec head, the jaguar, the chorlo mirlo or hummingbird, and other amazing artwork. So you can follow his work at Instagram at Isel Illustrations. That's I Z as in zebra, E Echo, L Lima, I in India, L Lima. Well, illustrations. So I Z E L illustrations. Uh, you can also find them, find them on Facebook on Isel Studios. And uh, you can go to I Z E L dot L I N K T dot R E E to find. And he also has an Etsy shop. So you can find the Etsy shop on Ezel Illustrations and find all his amazing stuff. He was at the Latino Comics Expo and I got to see a lot of his amazing work. He also has these amazing patches and other really amazing artwork. He just had his enamel pins are freaking amazing and his earrings oh my god i can't wait and they're reasonably priced as well so check out his etsy shop and follow his work he really has a gift so saludos goes out to him to michael vasquez oh yeah he was the one that was kind of there in the corner right where we were catty corner yes yes, yes that's okay. right yeah i remember i, I still buy stuff from him online I oh, nice. saw him and I went over and I looked really quickly and then I don't know what something happened and I walked away. I really liked his stuff that he had on his table. It was really cool. He's very, very talented. Oh, absolutely. And you know, one of the things I was thinking was, oh no, he's at the corner that's a little darker because the light doesn't hit quite right. But every mm -hmm. time I would look, he had a crowd of people at his corner because you know what? His artwork was just so amazing. It just... You know, you didn't need to have like a spotlight on it because he just freaking just, he's so talented. And I was just like, wow. The things that I saw that just, stuck out to me were the Pokemon. His Pokemon that he made in like this indigenous type like design. Like hieroglyphs, like pictographs. Yes, they're so creative. It was so amazing. At first I didn't get it. I was like, what are these? And I'm like, oh my God, are these Pokemon? He's like, yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, they're so cool. Yes, definitely. So check out his work. It's so amazing. There are so many platforms you can find him on. So check him out. Saludos goes out to him. All right, guys, that now brings us to the end of this episode. Where can they find us, girls? They can find us at comadacycomics.com, our website that has all of our social media links to... Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and you can also find us on YouTube where we interview creators about their projects and amazing things that they've accomplished and are coming up in the future. Absolutely. You could always email us directly at comadresicomicsgmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. We are so happy to be part of your weekly life and thank you for sharing your time with us we have been your host i'm sarah i'm kristen and i'm jen bye guys bye, bye. awesome